Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today is an exciting day at Watchmen on the Wall. Dr. Lonnie Shipman is here to debut his brand new book that proves through archaeology that the Bible is accurate in every single way. Our guest is Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He has become a number one author and researcher in biblical studies. He's right at the top. He's written a number of excellent books. Uh, Let me just run through them. Secrets of Prophecy Revealed, Heaven's Orchestra, The Stars Sing Praise to God, Treasure, and The Coming Temple of God. Now, Dr. Shipman's latest book, King of Books, The Bible and Archaeology and History. And we're going to be talking about King of Books on this show and the next. Lonnie, thank you so much for being with us once again. It's a great honor to be with you today. I think your book is going to meet a, a real need because, you know, all over the world and even in our country, there's an attack on the Bible. Chinese Communist Party, they're rewriting the Bible. So you are giving a, a solid historical, archaeological basis that everybody can appeal to. I know a lot of times people say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, okay, do you believe archaeology? Look at what the, the archaeologists are writing. So, as, as we start, why write about archaeology? Well, it's exactly as you're saying. There's a, we have historical proof, and sometimes scientific in other areas is covered. So this really is a, an approach to show historical proof of the Bible. The Bible is true. If the Bible describes a story and an event, uh, then do they find reference to it anywhere in history? Well, sometimes exactly as the Bible describes something, they found a cuneiform tablet or, or, a, or a cylinder or something that describes in great detail, even paralleling what the Bible says. So it shows again, over and over, the Bible is couched in history. It is literal. Yes. It is true. Yes, that's a, that's a great, great statement. Well, one of the things I've often wondered about, and I know you know a lot about that, and I've done some study on it, how do they learn to read these ancient languages that are now dead, like cuneiform and Akkadian and so on and so forth, because that's really very basic in archaeological and historical studies as it pertains to the Bible. It certainly is, yes. That's one reason I, at the beginning of the book, cover the history of hieroglyphics, how they discovered it, and the writing, and then also the cuneiform. Really, the hieroglyphics was discovered by Jean Champillion in France, spent 28 years of his life. And then later, primarily Henry Rawlinson of England did the study on cuneiform. Cuneiform has six different languages, and he and some others specific over 27 years. So all together combined, it was many, almost 60 years of the two wow. and others working on these areas separately to discover these ancient languages. It opened up to a seven ancient languages, and later a few others were added. And then we can read now, we just find a tablet or saw hieroglyphics on the, on the pyramids or something, the obelisk, they can now read what it says, and often find references to things in the Bible. Right, right. You know, I, I think there are a lot of Christians who are, what should I say, suspicious of scholarship. And yet, when you do archaeological studies, when you learn cuneiform, that's the wedge-shaped letters in a clay tablet, that's difficult, yes, but it has a good purpose. So I think I'm as conservative as anybody, and you are too, but I think there's a place for good biblical scholarship, looking at the original languages, even Paleo-Hebrew, and going back, 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 way in the past, and that really glorifies God. So I know you and I and several other 
what should I say, conservative Bible scholars believe in scholarship. It's really important. Now, let's talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Tell us about what they are. Uh, Maybe tell us a little bit about how they were discovered, I think, quite by accident, and how are they important in biblical archaeology? Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls are a collection of several hundred manuscripts found. uh, They really don't know for sure. They they believe they were found in 1947. Uh, and then later, other people searching found a few others, and they threw about 1952, found primarily most of these manuscripts in 11 different caves. They looked in 300 some odd caves. A Bedouin named Muhammad the Wolf, Muhammad El Adib, and his friend were out in the desert near what we call Qumran, or the north part of the Dead Sea. One of the goats had gone missing. He called for the goat. He saw a cave nearby, through, thinking a goat was had gone in the cave. He yelled for the goat. He didn't come out. He got a rock and threw it in the cave and heard crashing pottery. <laughs> he was curious about this. And so he crawled in the cave and found, smashed this, this uh, one pot that was smashed and found pitch covered. Actually, they were scrolls, but he didn't know what it was. He thought they were mummies. So he called to his friend. He crawled in. They crawled out holding these and said, we've found these mummies. We're rich. We're rich. <laughs> they weren't mummies. They were actually ancient scrolls. They were disappointed to find it was ancient writing, and they didn't know what it was. So they carried them around. They don't really know how long, a year to maybe as much as 20 years. That's why they're debating when it was first found. But they they even used the scrolls to light their campfires and things like this. And thinking later, well, maybe this will be helpful as antiquities. We make some money with this. And they went to a cobbler in Bethlehem and went named Kando. Kando was a cobbler, and he also sold antiquities. So they said, well, maybe he'll use it buy them as antiquities, and maybe, maybe if not, they'll at least use it for shoe leather. So then he uh, looked at this, and uh, they tried to get 20 dinars. He gave them 16 dinars, just a little bit of, of Jordanian money. But they were happy to have that, and he later took them to someone and sold them for $250, who sold them for 200000 and then <laughs> sold them later for about $3.5 million, <laughs> on and on through, as they changed hands. They discovered it was the ancient Bible. Mm. When F. William S. Albright saw it, he said it was the oldest Bible by a thousand years right. than anything they'd ever seen. It's dated to about 200 B.C. to about 56 A.D., these scrolls. And now, the, what the importance of the scrolls are that they f- have copies of the Bible over and over again, as well as some commentaries and other books, made primarily religious books. And the Bible in every text except four exactly parallels our King James Version in English, showing that wow. it, it is preserved, is what we're saying. The Bible is preserved whatever language you might have, such as Greek, uh, maybe German, or, or, or Spanish, or some other. There's a Bible available that's been preserved already, and we can see this line of the Bible still in our hands. We can trust it with confidence. Wow, that's a great explanation. I know when I was in uh, seminary, I was working on a, a PhD, and uh, I had studied about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and then I won a trip in seminary, Southwestern Seminary, to uh, Israel. And my, when I went to Qumran and I saw those caves, I shook all over with joy because here is proof that the Bible hasn't changed. This is something a thousand That's years right. earlier than, than we have. So once again, here is scholarship, because these uh, these scrolls had to be translated. You know, it's not like in English or anything of the sort. So it's it's absolutely amazing. And I, I wish our listeners would not be afraid of scholarship. I know there are unbelieving right, scholars, right. but there are believing scholars. 
And uh, I think there's a place for scholarship. But, but let me ask you, Lonnie, what about your personal experience with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, that's another amazing thing. I was trained personally as a concert pianist. My father was a pastor 67 years. My mother had a piano at a Baptist University. So I went to a direction of, sort of becoming a concert pianist to make some money in the classical piano, really. Uh, and uh, then I was called to preach in the middle of that. I was shocked. I had won six international competitions touring the world internationally in piano. And through this study of the Bible, felt I'd been saved as a little boy, six years old. But then I felt burdened to serve God and gave up this dream of, of classical piano and really the money and the fame, you might say. And then went to Bible College Seminary like you, and later also music degrees. And through this, I uh, then started studying and using the piano for God. So I decided to go to Europe, and then later I was invited to go to the Middle East and to do concerts. And in the concerts, I would tell the hymn stories, mm. and if possible, I would witness in different ways. I would not always do a sermon, but sometimes I could, sometimes I wasn't allowed to, but at least tell the hymn stories. By telling the hymn stories, including verses, with the hymn stories, you're in a way giving a testimony, almost like a witnessing to them, in a nice way. And so I opened the door. Now through this, I was able to go to Israel, and my father's closest friend in Bible college was Aubrey Richardson, who had got a master's in music and Bible, like my dad did, two different degrees. And then he went also and did a master's in mathematics at a Texas university here. And then he became the top engineer of the F-16 fighter jet program. Then he was sent to Israel to build a special version of the F-16. He heard I was going to be in Belgium and Holland. He said, you get yourself on a plane, get down here to Israel. Well, he was a long-time family friend. And so I, like an uncle to the family, you might say. So I went off down to Israel, and he said, get in the car quick, your plane's late. You're, you're, we got to go see the ambassador. Mm. What do you mean, the ambassador to Israel? <laughs> the American ambassador? you got to be kidding. Oh, no, he's waiting for you. Uh, well, I've got to change into my suit. I'm dressed casual. Oh, no, we don't have time for that. Just get in the car. So we went off to meet the ambassador, invited he and, and, and some of the dignitaries to the meetings. Then I, they were in Tel Aviv and, and Jerusalem, the, the, the meetings I was having. Then um, they said, would you like to go meet the top archaeologists and rabbis? Mm. Wow, it was amazing. <laughs> so within three days, I met the top rabbis. The fourth day, I was interviewing some of the top archaeologists. And then they said, now it's tomorrow. Let's go on a tour of the secret underground passageways of Jerusalem, and let's go see the Dead Sea Scroll mm-hmm. Caves. Wow. Oh, I didn't know you could even do this. So I was able to do these, help of these people or eight of the 11 caves, including that famous cave 4A, where 80% yeah. of all the early Bibles were found. And it's amazing to get into these places and realize that here's where they found the greatest discovery of the Bible in the history of the world. Mm, that's so exciting. Well, friends, our guest is Dr. Lonnie Shipman. He is the author of King of Books, The Bible in Archaeology and History. Now, this is really a great volume for anybody, especially in today's world. Some people think of the Bible as a lot of fairy tales. It's not. There are so many indicators that biblical events really happen. The places, practices, and customs that we find in the Bible do come from antiquity. You'll want this book. Our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Tell the operator that you want your own copy of King of Books, one 800 652-1144. Now, Lonnie, let's focus a little bit. What do we learn specifically from biblical archaeology? From archaeology, we first see that the historical facts that mention over and over and over again are true. Not only the places that are there, the names of the places, then biblical characters, the name of God, 
laws or big monuments, things like this, and the name of certain biblical personalities. Also, we find sometimes in some of the ancient clay tablets, the Bible prophesied specific events when Cyrus would come and invade uh, Babylon and take over Babylon and free the Jews to come back to the land. Cyrus was prophesied by name to come before 145 years before he was even born. And then he later came. Now they found the Cyrus Cylinder, the name Cyrus, doing these things. And many details about what happened as he invaded right. and, uh, and also freeing the Jews. All this is delineated in the cuneiform. And sometimes minute details are included in the Bible and the cuneiform showing, right. so again, God verified his word wow. Wow. in history. Well, you know, this is very exciting for me. I have a friend. He's an ex-Mormon. And uh, he's, he's now a Christian, evangelical Christian. He believes in Jesus. He believes in the Bible alone. But he said, you know, when you look at some of the Mormon writings, they mention places, uh, the hill of Zarahemla in Guatemala, wherever it is. And he said, if you go to those places, you can't find it. But when you read the Bible today, most of the places mentioned in the Bible, you can go to. There's a tell, you know, a pile of runes. There's a foundation. There's a street. And I think that's really significant. He said, when he saw that, he knew that, that the biblical accounts were historical, actually happened in time and space. If somebody had been there with their camera, they could have taken pictures of Jesus' teaching. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful testimony. So the discoveries show evidence of the historical facts, culture, language, and sometimes additional facts for the Bible. So right. tell us about some of the most important archaeological uh, discoveries that uh, re- directly relate to the Bible. What, what do they include? How, how about the flood tablet, for example? Well, the flood tablet is only is one of eight of a collection that talk about the story uh, with an, a different name of a personality, but it's similar to the story of Noah. What's amazing is it talks about a personality that's written several hundred years after the event happened, after the Bible was first given orally by what we call oral tradition. So sometimes these same stories of the Bible, as they are told in other cultures, they're, they're mixed, they're, they're transformed a little bit with sometimes another personality name. But the names of someone coming, and, and he decided to build a boat and save all the animals. And then at the end, after being in the water, in the flood, worldwide flood for a while, he releases a raven and then a dove, like the Bible talks about. Right. And so many, many details like this. And they found not just one, but they found eight flood tablets. The, the famous one you can see, of course, in the uh, British Museum, but there's also one in the Ashmolean, and part of these tablets are also in the Louvre in Paris. Yes, yes. Well, tell us a little bit about the Moabite stone, and uh, I love the black obelisk of Shalmaneser II. Uh, that's really important. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the Moabite stone is interesting because it, uh, it uh, is the, the oldest a copy we have of the uh, name of God uh, that we have. And it also, uh, it also covers, we, it has the name of Yahweh, what we now call Jehovah. Now, more recently, someone has done more research and found the name of King David listed in the Moabite stone. Now, the black obelisk of Shalmaneser II, Moabite stone, by the way, is in, is, in, is in the British Museum. The black obelisk of Shalmaneser II in the Louvre shows a sculptured picture of Yehu the king uh, of, the, of the house of Omri bowing before the Assyrian king Shalmaneser. And also, on another side, it shows 
four Jewish prisoners bringing their gifts of gold mm. and different uh, offerings to the king. Wow. So we have other Jews. Have, you see the famous sculptures of what the Jews look like, as well as the king, a biblical character, Shalmaneser II. You even have the fingerprint of Baruch, the scribe of Jeremiah, in a in a little uh, seal, really is what it is, from an ancient pot, and it's called a bullet. It's a seal. There's two of them. One of them has the fingerprints of the uh, the of a biblical character, the help, the friend and helper of Prophet Jeremiah. So many things were just astounding over and over again. They found the David inscription a few years ago, as you were saying earlier. For a long time, they claimed some of these people didn't exist, or some of the places didn't exist. So the David inscription, just a few years ago, they found an inscription that tells Dan, and it said House of David, showing there was a King David of the House of David. Now they've found, and then they said, well, that can't be true. It's only partially there. The next year they went back and found the complete inscription. The rest of it was still there. They mm. dug it up and, wow. and put it together. Now it's complete. But now they've found two other early inscriptions, even earlier by 100 years than this inscription, to uh, 150 years earlier, 100 years earlier, showing that there, that there was a King David. Later they said, oh, there was a Nineveh. We've never found Nineveh. And they looked, uh, looked and finally found Nineveh. Nineveh was a huge city and four centers. And they said, an area. They, they looked for the Hittite kingdom. Couldn't find it for a while. They finally found it in Turkey. And then they found not only us, one city, several cities, and one had 25,000 ancient tablets describing the, the things like the Bible described, the different events of the, of the Hittite Empire. So again, when people deny the Bible, then they find it over and over again is true. I, I like to witness just about wherever. I ride a bicycle a lot. I meet people on the trail. I meet people along the river and so forth. Quite often, I'll, I'll just drop a few things. And every once in a while, if I'm being a pest, I try not to be a pest. But somebody will say, well, wait a second. The Bible is false. The Bible is the only witness to these things. I say, that is not true. <laughs> you know, because a lot of people say that's circular reasoning. The Bible proves itself. Well, actually, archaeology shows this independent testimony and proof and corroboration that what happened in the Bible is historical. And I think that's, uh, that's right. so wonderful. And uh, hey, uh, we only have about a minute and a half, but tell us about the Amarna letters from uh, Joshua's time, speaking about the Jews in, in Canaan. Uh, wow, that's significant. Well, the Armana letters, found in the, the tale of Armana, is a series of letters and ancient writings from the people living in Cana back to the, pro, the Pharaoh, saying, send us help. Joshua, they, they don't know his name, but they know the Hebrews were coming and invading, and we need help, or these people are going to take the cities away. And it's really written about the invasion of Joshua to Canaan from the enemy's side, mm. showing that Joshua wow. did come at the same time that the Bible describes, and it specifically calls them the Hebrews, an early version of the word Hebrew. And so we know it's the Hebrews coming. They're coming to the same cities the Bible describes, at the same time being led by Joshua. And it's literally the same stories of the Bible from the enemy side. Right. Wow. Fantastic. Well, Lonnie, let me jump in here. We're about out of time, but we're looking forward to you coming back, and we will continue our discussion on our next program. Friends, be sure to tune in. Our offer for these two programs is King of Books, the Bible and Archaeology and History. Now, this is a book for your personal library. It's also a perfect addition to a church library. Great material for pastors, Sunday school teachers, elders, deacons, and every Christian 
who wants to be well-informed and well-versed in the Bible, its significance, and wants to speak about history. Let's talk about history. Well, we who believe the Bible, there's a lot of history. So friends, give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. We have much more from Dr. Lonnie Shipman on how archaeology affirms the authenticity of Scripture coming up on our next program. Dr. Lonnie Shipman has traveled the world and brings his experiences and research to his brand new book entitled The Bible, King of Books. He is proud to proclaim that the Bible has influenced the morals, government, worldview, culture, language, and literature of the nations, as well as the growth of the churches and spiritual lives of the people. The King of Books by Lonnie Shipman will encourage and strengthen your faith. Order your copy of The King of Books today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. When you contact us, make sure to ask how you can receive free shipping on your order. 1-800-652-1144. Staff evangelist Josh Davis comes now to share the latest headlines from around the globe, pointing to the deliberate push toward a global government, economy, and religion. It's today's One World Update. On October the 7th, the United Arab Emirates, called UAE for short, held their national elections and they made history in the process. Did you hear about this story? UAE became the first nation to hold fully digital elections with the help of facial recognition software. And this software is called Envote. It was developed by a company in Spain called Seidel. So how does this software work? Well, the company works with a country or a business or a corporation that would like to hold an election, and they format their election and they create the electronic ballots. Then voters can access the software through any kind of internet-connected mobile device like a cell phone, a tablet, a laptop, a computer, and the company issues a digital certificate to verify the voters' eligibility and then allows voters to sign their ballots electronically. They verify voters are legitimate by using various identification methods. And so the process can be completed with verification from items like a digital state ID or your biometric data, like a facial recognition scan. And once that voter verification is completed, a pair of digital keys are created. One key goes to the voter and it encrypts the voter's device before the vote is submitted to protect privacy and all those kinds of things. And the other key allows the electoral board to de-encrypt the vote after it's received to ensure the vote is authentic, it's legitimate, it's not been manipulated in any kind of way. So this digital voting software hides personal information from the electoral board so that it's impossible to trace a ballot back to the person who cast their vote. And this software has been used by various companies, corporations, and government bodies But UAE was the first country to hold a fully digital election by combining this mobile option with in-person internet voting at 24 polling stations across seven emirates. And the country has used electronic voting in the past, including voting kiosks back in 2006. And UAE has worked with Seidel in their election since 2011. Back in 2019, the software was used at over 1,000 voting kiosks at 39 polling stations, and the results of the election were announced, and get this, 
a mere 13 minutes after the polls closed. Can you imagine that? When it comes to the promises that's offered by technology, we tend to get sucked in by the ooh, shiny, cool stuff vibes enamor us, and we tend to ignore any of the drawbacks, any of the negatives. And you know what? I can't lie to you. Knowing the election results 13 minutes after the polls close is an extremely powerful draw, especially when we're used to waiting half the night or even longer in certain cases to see who won our national elections. However, we've got to proceed with caution before we buy into all the ooh, shiny, cool stuff vibes. A previous version of Seidel's voting software created problems during an election for the Australian state of New South Wales back in 2021, just a couple years ago. An unknown number of people were prevented from voting in this election because of software glitches. So could an entire election be invalidated because of a software glitch? There's some problems associated with this, and we've got to proceed with caution. Look, I'm not anti-technology. I believe that we can use technology for many wonderful advancements. And our ministry relies heavily upon all kinds of different technology as we're seeking to advance God's truth as far and as wide as we possibly can through every technology that we can muster and putting God's Word out there as far as we can. I'm simply urging us to proceed with caution as we're approaching these uncharted territories. You see, Australia has promoted its state digital ID called MyGovID. I'm not going to break out the Australian accent. Don't worry about that. But could a state digital ID cure the verification issues that the voting software faces? In other words, could Australian citizens be eventually forced to get a digital state ID if they want to vote in an election? So these are some important questions that we've got to consider before we jump on board with a fully digital election process. What about other future elections around the world? Could citizens be denied the right to vote if they refuse to register their facial recognition scan with the government? Be encouraged. God's plan for the ages is unfolding perfectly. He's in control. He's accomplishing His plan, His will, even during these perilous times that we find ourselves in. In my forthcoming book, Rise of the One World Mind, I discuss these topics in greater detail to help us understand what's going on and how to face it with faith instead of fear. Also at the Columbus, Ohio conference coming up at the end of this month, I'll be sharing a 45-minute One World update as I walk through many of these different topics. And I'd be glad to talk about those topics with you in person at the Columbus, Ohio conference. But I want to leave you with the words of Jesus to his followers as found in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. The King of Books by Lonnie Shipman lays out the archeological evidence that proves what the world denies, that the Bible is true. It is a living book that can speak the words of God directly to the hearts of those who hear or read it. The King of Books by Lonnie Shipman will encourage and strengthen your faith. Order The King of Books today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit our website, swrc.com. 
Tomorrow, Dr. Lonnie Shipman will share more insight into the King of Books. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.